0: This reading is presented with permission from Scholastic. Gilly's grandmother showing up on the porch was certainly a twist in her life she didn't expect. Is she gonna end up leaving and starting a new life with her real family? Or will Gilly fight to stay in Thompson Park and continue her life with the people that she's learning to love? Let's find out as we listen to the next episode. 11. Never and Other Cancelled Promises Dread lay on Gilly's stomach like a dead fish on the beach. Even when you don't look at it, the stink pervades everything. She finally made herself admit the fact that it was her own letter that had driven Courtney to get in touch with her mother after the silence of 13 years. What had it said? She couldn't even remember what the letter had said. And Courtney's letter had, in turn, brought the little lady up from Virginia to spy her out. And now what? It was not at all the way she'd imagined the ending. In Gilly's story, Courtney herself came sweeping in like a goddess queen, reclaiming the long-lost princess. There was no place in this dream for dumpy old-fashioned ladies with southern speech or Barefoot fat women in striped pajamas or blind old black men who recited poetry by heart and snored with their mouths open or crazy heart ripping little guys who went pow and still wet their stupid beds. She had done it like Bluebeard's wife. She'd open the forbidden door and someday she would have to look inside. By Saturday night when the turkey was finally upon the kitchen table with the four of them gathered gratefully around it, there was still no word from either Miss Ellis or the Commonwealth of Virginia. Trotter and W.E. looked deathly white, and Mr. Randolph was the shade of ashes, but they had thrown off the crankiness of their illness and were eating the cold, dry meat with chirpy expressions of delight. I declare, Miss Gilly. You are the only person I know who can rival Miss Trotter's culinary skill, a statement Gilly knew for a bald face if kindly intended lie. Potatoes are lumpy, she responded, doing some tardy mashing with the tines of her fork. Mine aren't lumpy, W.E. whispered loyally. They're just fine, Gilly honey. I think you gave yourself the only lump in the pot. Mine's smooth as ice cream. I don't know how long it's been. Trotter paused, head tilted as though reaching far back into her memory. I don't think foods tasted this good to me since. Well, since before Melvin took sick the last time. She beamed, having delivered the ultimate compliment. Gilly blushed despite herself. They were all liars, but how could you mind? Gilly, honey? Trotter stopped a forkful in midair. Who was that woman come here the other day? What's she want? Now it was Gilly's turn to lie. Well, I think she was about to ask us to join her church. But before I could tell her about being faithful Baptist, all oh, you came roaring in looking about three-day-old death. Scared her right out the door. Me too, asked W.E., you were the worst one, William Ernest. She saw you standing there all tall and white and skinny, called my name Gilly, Gilly. She nearly swallowed her dentures. Really? Would I lie? Pow! he said. Well, she sure got up and high tailed it when I came in and bulldozed poor Gilly clean through the carpet trotter snickered i reckon she thought she was fixin' to be next what'd you do asked w.e i fell smack down on gilly i couldn't get back up for the life of me mr randolph was giggling i was awakened by a terrible crash i came as fast as i could then all you could hear was this little squeak roll off me trotter roll off me Trotter repeated herself, getting nearer to hysterics with each repetition. Roll off me! Did you roll off her? Mercy, boy, if it weren't that easy. I huffed and I puffed and you blew her house down. William Ernest pounded the table and they all laughed until the tears came rolling. Roll off me! And not by the hair of my chinny chin chin! Roll off me! was not what Gilly remembered saying, but it didn't matter. It was so good to have them all well and laughing and eating together. Besides, in their merriment, the little gray-haired lady had slipped from their thoughts. But Monday came, and the long holiday weekend was over. Gilly, armed with an absence excuse that looked more like a commendation for bravery in battle, and William Ernest, cheerful but pale, went back to school. Mr. Randolph moved home again, and Trotter, taking time to rest every few minutes, began to straighten up the house. And Gilly learned later, by the time Miss Ellis reached her desk at 12 after 9, there was already a note upon it directing her to call on Miss Rutherford Hopkins in Loudoun County, Virginia. Gilly had waited after school at William Ernest's classroom door. She didn't want him taking on any fights while he was still wobbly from the flu, and she knew with her reputation that no one would sneeze in his direction if he was walking with her. Agnes Stokes danced along beside them, trying to entice Gilly to join her in a trip to the deli, but Gilly was too intent on getting William Ernest home. Or we could go to my house and call people on the phone and breathe weird. Come off it, Agnes. That is so dumb. No, it really scares them. I've had them screaming all over the place at me. It is dumb, Agnes. Dumb, dumb, dumb. You always say that when you don't think it up yourself. Right, because I don't think up dumb things. Come on, Gilly, let's do something. You ain't done nothing with me for a long time. My family's been sick. Agnes sneered. What family? Everybody knows my brother. At this, William Ernest raised his head up proudly. My mother and my uncle. Gilly Hopkins, that is the dumbest idea. Gilly spun around and jammed her nose down into Agnes's face, her mouth going sideways and narrow, exactly like hungry Bogart on TV. You want to discuss this further, sweetheart? Agnes backed up. It's too dumb to even talk about, she said, still backing up. Really dumb. William Ernest slid close to Gilly so they couldn't help touching as they walked. I bet I could beat her up, he whispered. Yeah, Gilly said, but don't bother. It wouldn't even be fair, you against that poor little puny thing. Trotter was at the door, opening it before they reached the porch. Gilly went cold. You could tell something was badly wrong by the way the woman's smile twisted and her body sagged. Sure enough, Miss Ellis was sitting on the brown chair. This time, the two women had not been biting, just waiting for her. Gilly's heart gave a little spurt and flopped over like a dud rocket. She sat down quickly on the couch and hugged herself to keep from shaking. Suddenly, Miss Ellis began to speak, her voice bright and fake, like a laxative commercial. Well, I've got some rather astounding news for you, Gilly. Gilly hugged herself tighter. The announcement of news had never meant anything in her life except a new move. Your mother? My mom's coming. She was sorry immediately for the outburst. Miss Ellis's eyebrows launched into the twitchy dance they always seem to do at the mention of the words, my mother. No, twitch, twitch. Your mother's still in California, but your grandmother, what have I to do with her? Your mother's mother called the office this morning and then drove all the way up from Virginia to see me. Gilly stole a look at Trotter, who was sitting bolt upright at the far end of the couch rubbing WE's back, her hand up under his jacket, and his her eyes like those of a bear on a totem pole. She and your mother, Twitch, want you to go with her. With who? With your grandmother. Permanently. The social worker seemed to be dangling that last word before Gilly's nose, as if expecting her to jump up on her hind legs and dance for it. Gilly leaned back. What did they take her for? I don't want to live with her, she said. Gilly, you've been saying ever since you were old enough to talk, I never said I wanted to live with her. I said I wanted to live with my mother. She's not my mother. I don't even know her. You don't know your mother either. I do too. I remember her. Don't tell me what I remember and what I don't. Miss Ellis suddenly looked tired. God help the children of the flower children, she said. I remember her. Yes. The pretty face grew sharp with tension and the social worker leaned forward. Your mother wants you to go to your grandmother's. Talk to her long distance. Didn't she tell you that she wanted me to come to California like she wrote me? No. She said she wanted you to go to your grandmother's house. They can't make me go there. Gently. Yes, Gilly, they can. She felt as though the walls were squeezing in on her. She looked around wildly for some way to escape. She fixed on Trotter. Trotter, won't let them take me, will you, Trotter? Trotter flinched, but kept on looking, wooden-faced at Miss Ellis and rubbing w. E.'s back. Trotter, look at me. You said you'd never let me go. I heard you. She was yelling at the totem pole now. Never, never, never. That's what you said. She was on her feet, stamping and screaming. The two women watched her, but numbly, as though she were behind glass and There was no way that they could reach into her. It was William Ernest who broke through. He slid from under Trotter's big hand and ran to Gilly, snatched the band of her jacket and pulled on it until she stopped screaming and stood still. She looked down into his little nearsighted eyes full of tears behind the thick lenses. Don't cry, Gilly. I'm not crying. She jerked her jacket out of his hands. I'm yelling. He froze his hands up as though the jacket were still in his fingers. Oh, kid, she grabbed his two fists. It's gonna be okay. She sighed and sat down. He sat down next to her so close that she could feel the warmth of him from her arms. Through her thigh, it gave her the strength to look up again defiantly. Miss Ellis who was looking at the two of them like a bird watcher onto a rare species. But the big woman, Gilly could see the pain breaking up. Totem pole stare. Trotter shuddered to her feet like an old circus elephant. You tell the child what's got to be done. Come on, William Morris, honey. She stuck out her big hand. We ain't helping here. When he hesitated, she reached down and gently pulled him to his feet. They closed the door behind them, leaving Gilly cold and alone. You seem to have changed your mind about a lot of things. So? So you goofed it, right? Gilly didn't answer. What did it matter? I'd really like to know what you wrote that fool letter for. You wouldn't understand. You bet I wouldn't. I don't understand why a smart girl like you goes around booby-trapping herself. You could have stayed here indefinitely, you know. They're both crazy about you. Miss Ellis shook her long blonde hair back off her shoulders. Well, it's done now. Your grandmother will be coming to pick you up at my office tomorrow. I'll come about nine to get you. Tomorrow? Gilly, believe me, it's better. "'Waiting around is no good in these situations. "'But I got school. "'Not even a goodbye for cool, beautiful Miss Harris "'or silly little Agnes. "'They'll send your records on.' "'Miss Ellis stood up and began to button her coat. "'I must admit that last month when you ran away, "'I thought, "Uh uh-oh, here we go again. "'But I was wrong, Gilly. "'You've done well here. "'I'm very pleased.' Then let me stay. Galadriel Hopkins had rarely come so close to begging. I can't, Masilla said simply. It's out of my hands. Chapter 12 The Going For dinner that night, Trotter fried chicken so crisp it would crackle when you bit it, and she beat the potatoes into creamy peaks with the electrical mixer. She had made Mr. Randolph his favorite green beans with ham bits, and for Gilly and W.E., there was a fruit salad with baby marshmallows. The sweet, sour smell of cherry pie filled the kitchen, where the four of them sat around the table without appetite for food or speech. Only only William Ernest cried, big silent tears, catching in the corners of the frame of his glasses and then spilling down his cheeks. Mr. Randolph, smaller and thinner than ever, sat forward on his chair with a shy half-smile on his face, which meant he was just about to say something, but he never quite got it out. Trotter was breathing as hard as if she had just climbed the stairs, She kept rearranging the serving dishes as though just about to offer seconds, but since the four plates were still piled high, the gesture was useless. Gilly watched her and tried to decide how much Miss Ellis had told her. Did she know the Thanksgiving visitor was Gilly's grandmother? Did Trotter know, she hoped not, about the crazy letter? She still couldn't remember what she had even said in the letter. Had she said W.E. was retarded? Her mind blinked in self-defense. Oh, God, don't let Trotter know. She'd never meant to hurt them. Just wanted... What had she wanted? A home? But Trotter had tried to give her that. Permanence? Trotter had wanted to give her that as well. No, what she wanted was something Trotter had no power over. To stop being a foster child... The quotation marks dragging the phrase down, almost drowning it. To be real without any quotation marks. To belong and to possess. To be herself, to be the swan, to be the ugly duckling no longer. Her disguise thrown off. Cinderella with both slippers on her feet, Snow White without the dwarfs. Galadriel Hopkins come into her own. But there was n- but there was to be no coming, only a going. If you all don't start eating this supper, I'm going to... Trotter stopped fishing around for a proper threat. She took a deep threat. I'm going to jump up and down this table squawking like a 200-pound lovesick chicken. Really? William Ernest took off his glasses and wiped them on his pants to prepare for a better view. Mr. Randolph's fixed smile crumbled into a nervous titter. Gilly swallowed to clear her clogged up throat and took a large, noisy bite of her drumstick. Now that's more like it. Trotter patted her shiny face with the tail of her apron. This was supposed to be a party, not some kind of funeral. She turned to Mr. Randolph and half shouted, "Gilly's folks are from Loudoun County, Mr. Randolph. Oh, that's lovely, lovely country, Miss Gilly. Real Virginia horse country. You got horses, Gilly? I don't know, W.E. She found it hard to imagine a little pudgy lady on horseback, but who could tell? Can I see him? Sure. If I got him, you can see him. She caught a flicked warning from Trotter over the boy's head, but Gilly ignored it. It's not like I'm going to Hong Kong. You can just jump on a bus and come see me anytime. Trotter was shaking her head. She put her hands over W.E.'s shoulder. When folks leave W. Ernest, honey, they gotta have a chance to settle in and get used to things. Sometimes it's best not to go visiting right away. If you mean never, Trotter, say so. Is that it? Will I never see the three of you again? Are you gonna stand by and just let them rip me out and fold me up and fly me away? Leave me a string, Trotter, a thread at least. Well, she would just have to tie her own. I'll write you, W.E. The mailman will bring you a letter with your name on it just for you. Me? He said. Nobody else. She looked belligerently at Trotter, but Trotter was so busy making the meat platter and the salad bowls switch places that the expression was wasted. After supper, Gilly did her homework, knowing it was useless, that Miss Harris would never even see the neat figures row on row that proved that Gilly Hopkins had met and mastered the metric system. When she finished, she thought briefly of calling Agnes, but what would she say? Goodbye? When she had never even said hello? Poor Agnes. What would become of her? Would she stomp herself angrily through the floor? Or would someone's kiss turn her magically into a princess? Alas, Agnes, the world is woefully short on frog smoochers. No, she wouldn't call, but maybe someday she'd write. William Ernest walked Mr. Randolph home and returned carrying the Oxford Book of English Verse for Gilly, a farewell present from Mr. Randolph. Gilly, honey, do you know what kind of present that is? well, Gilly could guess, like he tore a piece of himself off and gave it to you. Gilly ran a finger over the wrinkled brown leather, which could almost have been a piece of Mr. Randolph, but the observation seemed too raw, so she kept it to herself. She waited for Trotter to puff up the stairs to take W.E. to bed before she began to look for the poem. Our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. The soul that rises with us, our life star, hath had elsewhere its setting and cometh from afar. Not an entire forgetfulness and not an utter nakedness, but trailing clouds of glory do we come from God who is our home. She didn't understand it any more than she had the first time. If birth was a sleep and a forgetting, what was death? But she didn't really care. It was the sound she loved and the sounds that turned and fell in kaleidoscopic wonder. And not in utter nakedness? Who would have thought those five words could fall into such a pattern of light? And her favorite, but trailing clouds of glory do we come. Was it all the L's that did it? Or the mental picture that streaked comic light across the unfocused lens of her mind? From God, who is our home? Again, the lens was unfocused. Was that God with the huge lap smelling a baby powder? Or was that home? She awoke in the night trying to remember the dream that had awakened her. It was a sad one. Or... Why did her heart feel like a lump of poorly mashed potatoes? It was something about Courtney. Courtney coming to get her and then having seen her turning away, sorrowing. Never, never, never. But the voice was Trotter's. She began to cry softly into her pillow, not knowing why or for who. Maybe for all the craziness she had tried so hard to manage and was never quite able to. And then Trotter was beside her, making the bedspring screech at the burden of her body. She leaned over, her hair loose from its daytime knot, falling across Gilly's own hair. You okay, baby? Gilly turned to face her, this mountain-smelling of Johnson baby powder and perspiration. In the dark, she could hardly make out the lines on Trotter's face. "Yeah." She sniffed. Okay. Trotter took the hem of the striped pajama top and gently wiped Gilly's eyes and nose. I ain't supposed to let on how I feel. I ain't got no blood claim on you. And the Lord in heaven knows I want you to have a good life with your own people. But her huge bass voice broke up into little squeaky pieces but it's killing me to see you go. The whole mammoth body began to shake with giant sobs. Hilly sat up and put her arms as far as they could go around Trotter. I'm not going to go, she cried. They can't make me. Trotter quieted at once. No, baby, you gotta go. Lord, forgive me for making it harder for you. I'll come back. I'll see you all the time trotter stuck her big warm hand underneath gilly's pajama top and began to rub her back the way gilly had often seen her rub we's no gilly baby it don't work that way like i tried to tell you at supper once the tugboat takes you out to the ocean liner you gotta get all the way on board can't straddle both decks i could said gilly The big hand paused on its healing journey around and up and down her back and then began again as Trotter said softly, don't make this harder for us, baby. Perhaps Gilly should have protested further, but instead she gave herself over to the rhythmic stroking under whose comfort she wished she could just curl up her whole body like a tiny kitten and forget about the rest of the whole world. She could almost forget, lying there in the silence, letting the soothing warmth of the big hand erase all the aching. At last, overcome with drowsiness, she slid down into the bed. Trotter pulled the covers up around Gilly's chin and patted them around her. You make me proud here. Okay, she murmured and was asleep.